Welcome to A Voice from the Hills. I'm James Warner, co-founder of Silicon Hills Wealth Management here in Austin, Texas. And our guest on today's podcast is Caitlin Cook. Caitlin is head of community and vice president of operations for OnRamp Academy. OnRamp is a leading educational resource in the cryptocurrency space. And opinions vary greatly. Crypto bulls say that the blockchain technology and the complex around this immutable ledger will lead to a fundamental change in many of the aspects and the ways we do business in the financial world in the future. Bears counter that the expected terminal value of today's inventory of cryptocurrencies, NFTs, and assorted blockchain companies is essentially zero. The rest of us are just kind of caught in the middle trying to make sense of it all. And there's no shortage of headlines and actions in the space. The markets never close, attention-grabbing headlines are prevalent, and it's easy to get caught up in the current events and skip over some of the basic, fundamental knowledge and concepts you need to really even begin to form an opinion. And that's where Caitlin comes in. She decided to leave the world of traditional finance to dive into the crypto world headfirst. And she's devoted the last year of her life to learning, teaching, and collaborating on all aspects of blockchain, crypto, and DeFi. And she joins us today to share what she's learned. So please join me in welcoming Caitlin Cook. James Warner is the founding partner of Silicon Hills Wealth Management and the host of A Voice from the Hills podcast. All opinions expressed by James, his co-host, and his guest are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Silicon Hills Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Silicon Hills Wealth Management may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. Good morning, Caitlin, and thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you on the pod. So before we get started, kind of give everybody just a, a brief background into you and all the stuff you're doing before we get started. Sure. So I am currently at OnRamp Invest, which is a crypto integration platform as a service, really in a nutshell, trying to help RIAs and financial advisors get access to crypto in a streamlined way for their clients. Um, so we've integrated with crypto custodians and exchanges on that side of things, have it all available in one platform so advisors can open accounts for clients and buy crypto on their, their behalf if they so choose. Um, and we also have an education platform on Ramp Academy, which is what I focus on primarily around advisor education on crypto. So everything from the 101 level, what is a blockchain, what is crypto in a nutshell, um, all the way to how does a financial advisor integrate crypto into their practice? So covering topics like financial planning, estate planning, tax prep, et cetera. Um, and prior to that, I was at Deutsche Bank um, as the dreaded wholesaler that a lot of advisors don't usually want to talk to, but working in the traditional space with ETFs and mutual funds. So you're in traditional finance, and I think uh, I think as the story goes, you and uh, Tyrone did a little DMing back and forth, and in some some way, shape, or form, a job opportunity came out of that. Uh, how much did you know about the the cryptocurrency space when you uh, when you said yes to that? I didn't know much. <laughs> um, working in the traditional side of things, it wasn't something that was really covered as widely as it is today a couple of years ago. So I didn't know much coming in. I had just seen it across social media and really only knew about it in passing. So the past year or so has really been a very big um, kind of culture shift and deep dive into a space that I didn't know much about. Um, and obviously it's been pretty popular in, in the news and things that are being built within that space in the past year. So it's definitely been drinking from a fire hose, but it's been a blast. 
Yeah, that's one of the reasons I wanted to kind of have you on because I know that on-ramp academy is there for the RIAs, but I think kind of the journey that you've been on the last year is something that would be helpful for a lot of people who are, you know, they're they're aware of the blockchain, they're aware of cryptocurrency, but they're they're they really haven't adopted it yet, or sometimes don't even know where to start. So help us figure out. So what did that on-ramp Academy look like for you? What did your, once you, once you said yes to this option, what was your next step? Yeah. So there's, I would start by saying that the education side of crypto is very easily overwhelming. Um, and anyone who has social media or uses a television can see why crypto is a 24 seven market and headlines are rampant. They're everywhere. And they're usually not the most positive. Um, I'll, I'll give it that. There's you know quite a lot going on. And if you only go by the headlines, you're really not sure where to start because there's so many different things going on. Um, with it being a decentralized space, that means that anyone in any corner of the planet can be building something uh, new and developing something new in crypto and DeFi. Um, so it's hard to know where to go, um, especially when there are headlines jumping out at you everywhere. So I'll say that first. But where I started and where I recommend that most people should start is literally with the Satoshi white paper. That is what started this entire decentralized finance movement in 2008. Um, you know, most of, most of the people listening to this would probably remember 2008 pretty well, um, probably better than I would. <laughs> but but um, that was really where this entire movement and this entire space was born from was um, in a time of heightened distrust in legacy institutions, there was a white paper that came out talking about the idea of a different type of system or a new iteration of the financial services system. And that's really where it all began was with Bitcoin. So if you don't know where to start, everything else that has been developed in the years since has been a play off of what started with the Bitcoin blockchain and with Bitcoin as the, the first crypto asset. Um, and that's probably the best place to start. If you can understand crypto, if you can understand, if you can understand Bitcoin and the reason that that came about and how it was built, you'll have a better under um, better chance of understanding what's been built on top of it since, because it really did all stem from there. And does that help the average person if they if they go through that uh, that white paper? Does it help them get a kind of a, a grip or a handle on what the blockchain really is? It's a start. Um, I, I think it does a good job of setting the scene if you keep in mind, you know, what was happening at the time that that was released um, and, you know, the uncanny timing of all of that. Not to say that anything is, you know, something that's going it, to it's not going to click immediately for you. Right. This is a pretty it's new technology. It's very easily complicated um, in this space. So it takes time. But I do think that starting at the root of it, where everything began, um, that's a good way to learn anything, right? Starting from the beginning and going to how the space has evolved since is a lot easier than, in my opinion, starting with an idea like NFTs or staking or stable coins and scaling your way back to where, how did we get to here from where we started? If you don't know where you started and you don't have that strong foundation, it's a lot harder to get a grasp on, you know, what's happened since, in my opinion. And I think even in some cases, I've talked to people who actually understand the underlying technology of it better than I would have expected. Uh, but they have really some weird misconceptions. I had one, one gentleman who thought that he had to be able to buy one Bitcoin in order to participate in the, you know, in, in the system. I was like, no, that's not really how it works. So you can, 
you can buy a much smaller amount than <laughs> than to break off thirty three thousand dollars or whatever. But right. it's 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 interesting as you're working with people on this, the the concepts and the terminology is really cool. But there are some areas where people just don't quite get it, and uh, and I think you mentioned in one of your prior. Uh, it was either a podcast or an interview. You talked about how people are afraid to ask questions. Uh, and that's a, you know, that can be a huge thing uh, if you're sitting there with, with a hole in your knowledge base. Uh, how does your program kind of help people fill in those holes? I think having a tailored resource, um, which is the, the really important part with OnRamp Academy, is that it's not just crypto content. It's not just the introductory knowledge that advisors need. It's again, taking that extra step to say, there's a lot going on in this space. It's very easily overwhelming. And we understand that. What do advisors need to know that directly applies to their business and to their clients? What are their clients going to be asking them about? What are they going to have to shift or add within their practice as it stands to you know acclimate to this space and to integrate that into their broader practice? So that's definitely part of it. Um, I would say that's a super helpful part, right? Because that's a lot of filling in the gaps on, you can find um, kind of broadband introductory crypto education everywhere. I'd actually argue that there's an information overload on where you can find crypto content. And sometimes it's hard to filter for quality. Sometimes it's hard to filter for where you truly should start. The nice part with OnRamp um, and OnRamp Academy specifically is that we are building directly to, adv to advisors by people who either have done the job themselves as advisors um, independently or working within the space in the industry in the past. Um, so OnRamp definitely, you know, we provide the introductory resources. Jargon is a really big, you know, hurdle to understanding the crypto space as well. We have a crypto dictionary on the site. We have 101 primers that are one to three pages in length written in very simple language um, on topics like what is an NFT? What is a blockchain? What is Bitcoin? If I had to explain Bitcoin to a fifth grader, how would I do that? Right. So it's, you know, providing all of that, but then taking it into something that's more transferable and actionable. So how do I integrate crypto in an estate plan? How do I include crypto in a will? How do I update my form ADV to ensure that I'm being compliant and being transparent with regulators about the crypto services that I offer? Um, I think a big part of trying to explain the space that is sometimes an issue with financial professionals is more of, um, you know, you can you can learn a lot, but until you apply it, you can only learn so much. So really bringing it back to the core of what advisors care about and what they need to know, I think really fills in a lot of the gaps there because it's more practical um, educational resources rather than just something generic. And when you can bring it back to something that you're already familiar with, that's when the real learning comes in, in my opinion. So um, not sure if that's the best answer to your question, but that's that's kind of the direction that we've taken is really always writing everything in the perspective of why does this matter to an advisor? What are their clients going to ask them about and what do they need to know? Um, so everything that we do is with that in mind. And we don't put any content out there that you know, doesn't fit the bill on that because we want to provide clarity rather than add confusion in this space. Yeah, I think we get two different types of clients. We get the the client that comes to us and says, this is interesting to us. How can you help us allocate to it? I mean, you know, how, how much should we allocate? How do we take a position? What do you know about it? 
here's what I, I mean, it's a, it's a very interesting topic. Uh, the, it's the actionable nature that they're looking for us to kind of help them take that first dip, that first toe in. And then we get the other section where they were probably a little bit more of an early adopter. They, they come in with their nano drive. They have a Gemini account. They have a Coinbase account. They're interested in staking their, They've gone from the traditional Bitcoin Ethereum combination to there's some altcoins in there. And and so they're actually coming to us saying, Okay, here's what I've done. Can you make sense of it? I mean, it's it's almost like they they allocated before they educated and they're they're kind of in that reverse system because you know, they allocated first and for many of them they were very, very successful. I mean, they, they might have allocated with an average Bitcoin price of twelve hundred dollars and so regardless of the volatility from high to low or whatever they've still you know got a tremendously successful uh investment and they're they're wondering okay well now what now what do i do with it i mean how do i integrate that into the to the rest of my world so let's start with that crowd because i think that's an interesting way because they come to us with a fair amount of information um and they want us to incorporate essentially what is their, you know, what is their cryptocurrency uh, portfolio into something that they already have. How can an advisor look at that and, you know, take what they already have and, and make sense of it or treat it as an asset class or, or, or what do you do? How do you make that fit? Yeah. And I would say the first first thing I would say is kind of to a point you made earlier, a lot of advisors, you know, are afraid to ask questions. And I think that part of the reason is, to your point, there are a lot of clients or retail investors that invested in this on their own. It could have been five years ago. It could have been three years ago, maybe even longer ago than that. Um, But the point being that this has historically been a retail driven asset class, which is different than anything that I believe we've ever seen in the past with how heavily retail driven this has been. And with that comes kind of an awkward situation for an advisor, right? Because if you think of the average demographic of a financial advisor, I would say probably around 55 years old, uh, maybe not the first to be adopting new technology. They have their businesses built out as advisors. You know, they're probably stable. They have their clientele. They have their portfolio allocations that they typically use and they have their process, right? And then something like crypto comes through and their clients are heavily interested in it. They're seeing it everywhere in the news. But the advisor may not be someone that is inclined to kind of go out of their way to learn about that. Right. They have their businesses set. They, you know, they have their handle on the traditional markets and that's that. Um, And it's not you don't you don't see every day, you know, every advisor going out of their way to learn about everything new that happens in the space. You want to see if it's going to mature. You want to see if it's something worth spending your time in. Um, So this has led to a lot of financial advisors having clients who might know more about crypto than they do. And I can personally say as an advisor, that would make me uncomfortable. That would make me, you know, I I like to ask questions, but I could see how this is a, you know, a situation in which you feel a little bit uncomfortable doing so. Um, But you do know that hopefully know that this is something you should learn about because even if crypto isn't something that is suitable for a lot of your clients. And one thing that I always say is that crypto probably isn't going to be suitable for a lot of your clients based on risk profile and whatnot. And that's okay. Um, It really comes down to just getting educated on it. Um, Just because to your point, there's going to be a very high likelihood that your clients own crypto and come to you mentioning that they have an allocation already that has 
potentially grown to a pretty substantial amount of their portfolio, or um, you have clients who have seen it in the news that are going to come to you with questions. So it's not even a matter of allocating. Um, a lot of it's going to be more reactive to what your clients come to you with. Um, and as an advisor, you know, you want to have the visibility into the entire portfolio, not just portions, which is why it's good if your client comes to you and says that they own crypto, right? It's just knowing where to go when they do. So long-winded intro on your question here, but for advisors that do have clients with an allocation to crypto, um, I mean, it's definitely worth having a conversation of pulling out their financial plan as it stands and seeing does crypto fit into this? And if it doesn't, um, you know, that's obviously worth the conversation. They own it already. And it may take adjusting that broader plan to incorporate crypto, too. So being flexible on that, going back to that sort of North Star that you already have and seeing where does this fit in? Should it fit in? Do we need to have a conversation around what your risk tolerance is? You previously said that it was here and crypto is much higher than that. What are your thoughts around it? Why did you invest? You know, just a conversation around the why behind the investment, I think, is important to help the advisor understand, you know, why why the, the client did it in the first place. Um, and then I just think, you know, kind of making adjustments, right, your, uh, in your portfolio modeling tools and whatnot, and your CRM, including all of that information about the crypto allocation within that. Um, <clears throat> and also... You know, I, I just think a lot of it is being very transparent with your client. Even if you're not a crypto expert, you should be open to having those conversations with the client. Um, and if you're open to, you know, having a more active role in the crypto allocation itself and your clients are open to that as well, um, inadvertent plug to on-ramp invest, right? Because we do offer visibility into held away accounts that the client might manage on their own. If you as an advisor want visibility into what your client's doing in the crypto markets, but either don't feel comfortable managing the allocation, your RIA won't allow it, um, or your client wants to manage it on their own, you can still link the held away account to get visibility into that side of things. So there are ways to you know, integrate this into your practice. You want to make sure that that data is incorporated into everything else that you're doing. But at the end of the day, crypto should be treated like any other asset class when it comes to um, you know, how you service your clients. Um, the one thing that I would say in kind of more around having meetings and reviews of portfolios with clients, I would say with the crypto markets being a little bit more volatile, working 24 seven, you know, the crypto markets don't close. Um, at least probably having a more regular check-in with your clients to talk about those allocations would be the one thing that I would say for that. But hopefully that answers your question, at least partially. And, and then outside of the actual investment allocation and the volatility and those those sorts of things. I mean, having a substantial cryptocurrency position does change the way that you might look at your estate plan. Uh, it does open up a different avenue into your philanthropic planning. And you do have to understand, well, do, do the charities that I work with, would they accept a donation of cryptocurrency? How would I actually do that? Does my executor know where my wallet is? Do, does my executor have any idea what my digital assets are worth? Are there people within my sphere of influence that would handle uh, handle this airship of these digital assets better than other people? Uh, I mean, there, there are all kind of million different questions to ask. And I find that most people uh, look at that investment allocation part of it and forget that, okay, this is a a brand new asset class that you've put into your overall portfolio with some 
was just some different characteristics than the characteristics of traditional finance. And if you haven't, if you're working on a, on a web three investment plan and you're working with a version 1.0 estate and charitable plan, then that's where I think advisors are losing out on the opportunity to look at those held away assets and better understand them and better plan for their clients. Uh, but let's, let's, let's break it down into just some core considerations that I think are core and maybe they are, maybe they aren't to me at all. The wallet is a very important concept, uh, not only for what's happening today in cryptocurrency, but really for the future promise of it all. Can, can you describe to someone what a wallet is in the digital currency environment, why it's important and, and what are just the different functions of it? Sure. So wallets, just like it sounds, it's it's where an investor stores their crypto assets. And the reason that, you know, it's definitely a hot topic, especially for if there are advisors listening to this and trying to wrap their heads around it. There are multiple ways in which investors can store their crypto. One of the flagship ideologies of the crypto space is this idea of decentralization and really giving the individual control over their assets and where they're stored um, and, you know, really having full autonomy over those assets. So keeping that in mind, there are multiple ways to store your crypto. There are um, more decentralized storage methods. There are software wallets. Um, there are you know, physical hardware wallets that you can literally take your crypto, what's called offline, um, and store that. It looks like a USB drive and store that wherever you choose to. Um, but the point being, there are multiple ways to store your crypto. And sometimes the investor wants to have the control over that. They want to manage it themselves. They don't want their assets held with a third party that really has control over them or could be hacked. Um, so really one of the first questions that you want to ask with your clients, if they do own crypto, is to ask how it's being stored. There are pros and cons to every different storage method. If it's a little bit more, um, you know, you're managing it on your own, then obviously the risk comes with you managing those assets, you forgetting your what's called private key, which is the way that you access your crypto in more decentralized um, storage methods and whatnot. If you lose that code, you lose your crypto, right? So there's a risk that comes with owning that and managing it on your own. But on the flip side, to really get more people into crypto, there are more centralized, quote unquote, exchanges and custodians. There are the Coinbases and Geminis of the world that look and feel more like a brokerage app that you're used to on the traditional side of things. So those come with those platforms manage the crypto for you or, you know, store it for you. And with with the risk of that, I mean, there's obviously benefits. You don't have to worry about losing your crypto for managing it yourself. Um, you know, you have someone else that is kind of responsible for that. But with that, there's also the risk of crypto is digitally native. These platforms are digitally native. And there is always the risk when a third party is managing your crypto that it could be hacked and your crypto could be stolen. So, you know, that's something to always consider in an online world. If you're giving control of, of anything online, right, to a third party, there's always the risk that comes with, you know, not managing that yourself. Um, but those platforms have been a really good onboarding tool to the space because they're more familiar to investors who are used to using, say, a Robinhood or E-Trade account. Um, those are what are called more, um, I, I guess that would be more with like a third party for, for storage there. 
Um, but there are a lot of different ways to do it, I guess, point being um, roundabout answer to your question. But the important thing is to know the risks that come with each way that that crypto can be stored. If you're a more active trader, it would make sense to keep your crypto in what's called hot storage, which means that the crypto is held online, whether that's with a third party like a Gemini or a Coinbase that it can be easily accessed and transferred or in a software wallet like MetaMask, as an example, which I have complete control over myself. Again, that's more of the like more um, self-managed accounts rather than a custodial account, but it's online so that I can easily transfer my crypto. If you're someone that's holding for the long run, again, I mentioned there are hardware um, hardware wallets or cold storage, which means that you take your crypto offline um, because you don't have you don't need to have it on the exchange or have it easily online to be transferring. If you're not moving your assets often, you're holding for the long run, then you can take that offline, have it in that hardware wallet. There are other methods as well, but hardware wallets are the most common. And you choose and where you store that. For people who are doing that, for people who are doing that, obviously the the identity and location of the private key is is paramount. Yes. Uh, and for for me, that might be fine. But what? How do I communicate that to you know my loved ones? How do I how do I let them right. know that number one, I have crypto, and here's the private key without giving them the private. I mean, there's a if if privacy is your your main concern, but you also have this. You know, what happens if something happens to me and nobody else in the world knows nobody else in the world knows this information you know who who's my who's my trusted uh, private key holder I guess in, in that in that sense yeah and that's why you know you mentioned estate planning before that is why proactive estate planning is so important in the crypto space because even if you have your crypto stored on again a more centralized location like a Gemini or a coinbase, um, there's still, you know, login credentials to be able to access those assets. It's not the same as in the traditional world where they're easy to, to access, right? That's kind of the, the risk or nuance that comes with the ability to manage my crypto entirely upon myself rather than outsourcing to, to a third party like we typically have to with stocks and whatnot. So this is why you need to have a conversation with an advisor, with, um, you know, there's Rufata, which is the digital fiduciary, um, and making sure that there's a plan in place for, if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, how do I make sure that someone gets my crypto? How does someone know where it is? Again, to your point, how does someone know where the private key is? Um, don't want to give advice on, you know, the way to go about that, but definitely have that information stored in multiple locations. Make sure someone knows the whereabouts of that information, someone that you clearly can trust um, and make sure that it's, you know, just making sure that it's secure, but that could mean a lot of things, right? You could put it in a safe, put it in a safety deposit box, have use um, kind of, I, I, again, I really don't want to give advice on that, but just it's more of being proactive, right? So you're having the conversation ahead of time, because unlike on the traditional side, there's really in, in a lot of places where you can store your crypto, there's not a customer support, right? There's not a, I call someone and say, oh, my loved one passed away and they want to pass their crypto to me. Well, what's their private key? What's their address? Right. So if you don't have that, in most cases, you can't get access to the crypto, which is why you need to have that written out explicitly ahead of time, making sure that all parties that need to be involved are involved. Um, and that's when, again, there's a lot of value that a financial advisor or you know, anyone who's administering an estate plan and a trust can come in in this space and really add value very quickly. 
because there's been a lot of wealth generated in the space, but there really hasn't been at least a widespread focus on the more traditional parts of where advisors add value with estate planning, tax planning. And there's a lot of nuance when it comes to crypto. So again, these are just conversations that need to be had. And this is why I really harp on the fact that advisors should not shy away from this because it's a huge opportunity for them to provide value in a space that a lot of retail investors haven't given consideration to a lot of these things. Um, So I I guess I'll stop there. Yeah. And so for the people who, you know, have a fairly substantial uh, allocation to cryptocurrency. Uh, it's in, you know, more of the, the Bitcoin, Ethereum uh, type holdings. And they, they're long-term holders. They're not looking to transact it. They're not looking to move it around. Uh, is that the point in time where they should start looking at maybe staking and what the benefits of that happen to be? Yeah. And I, I think it's, I think it depends. I think there's a lot of opportunity when it comes to staking and, and yield farming for the yields that can be generated. If you're, you know, like in the traditional side, if you're lending capital and there's a need for that capital, you're going to be getting probably a better, you know, return on that if there's a high demand for it. And we've seen that in the crypto space with stable coins, with different crypto assets. So there's a big opportunity there if you don't need those crypto assets over the short term. The nice part with the crypto markets generally is that, you know, there's a lot of liquidity and, you know, and there's the ability to, you know, pull those assets out if needed and whatnot. So I think that is definitely a conversation to have and to see, you know, I want, do you want to make your money work for you a little bit more than just having it sitting in the crypto markets? I mean, we've seen good returns, obviously, but that's not indicative of future performance. And there are ways to enhance those returns, just like in the traditional world. So yeah, I guess the short answer is yes, that would be the time to be having a conversation around it and, you know, seeing if it's the right, you know, thing to be doing for you in your particular situation. But there's definitely a lot of opportunity there for the people who are interested in doing that. And then I guess the other thing for me is you, you talked about essentially, you know, it is totally decentralized. So there's always someone creating something. Uh, there's always something new coming uh, around the pike. It's a 24-7 market. Uh, how, is, how, how have you handled that? That's got to be uh, – the, there is no there is no area where you take a deep breath, is there? I mean, there is no well, – gosh, the crypto market's closed today or nobody developed anything today. I mean, that's got to be a different way to, or a different challenge to meet for, for advisors and people that are certainly in your position. How do yeah. you, uh, how do you stay sane? <laughs> well, that implies that I was sane to begin with. So, um, you know, maybe not. Uh, good point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a lot. And it's funny coming from the traditional side of things, right? You have your you have your nine to five from Monday to Friday. And outside of that, the markets are closed at three Eastern, right? Um, or I guess maybe, well, three Central, I suppose, right? Um, I can't even remember now. But the crypto markets, it's, you know, it's in such a high growth state right now, too, where in addition to the markets always being open, like I said before, people are building so quickly and constantly in this space. Um, and we've seen a ton of growth from that. But with that, again, it's hard to keep up. So I would say for advisors, you know, I'm definitely sympathetic to the fact that this is a broader part of a business, right? They're not working in crypto 24-7. It's an asset class within a broader market that they, you know, continue to monitor and invest in on behalf of clients. So definitely keeping that in mind, I think, you know, you definitely have to keep an eye on kind of the biggest happenings. But I'd also say that don't get 
to don't do not let yourself get overwhelmed. Um, the important part is that you're learning it all right now. I would say advisors learning about the space at all and being open to conversations and open to learning about it and asking questions are at a vast advantage versus many of their peers who have still kind of pushed that off and see it as something that's you know going to zero or not not sticking around. Um, clearly biased, but I believe that it definitely it in mass is staying around. Um, with high growth spaces, you're going to see a lot of attrition. We saw the dot-com bubble. Not every company survived, right? But from that, we saw a ton of innovation and we saw companies that came out and were winning, right? So there may be thousands of crypto assets. They may not all survive, right? Um, and they definitely won't, just like in any other space. But the important part is that advisors are at least keeping an eye on this, learning the foundations of it, learning about blockchain, learning about Bitcoin, learning about the different areas of DeFi that are developing and just trying to keep a pulse on it. So just, you know, keeping up with the news, not not letting yourself get completely all consumed by it, um, because that's very easy to do. Um, but I, it's even working in the space 24 seven, it's impossible to keep up with everything that's happening. When anyone calls themselves a crypto expert, I get hesitant because there's no <laughs> way, there's absolutely no way that you can keep up with everything that's going on, even if you tried, right? Because again, 24 seven markets, People are building quickly. They're building constantly. There's new developments like every single day. Um, but I think taking a step back and looking at the broader themes and looking at the broader areas that are being developed and having at least a baseline understanding is super important. Past that, it's really just knowing where to go to get answers to things. You don't have to know everything off the top of your head if a client asks, but you need to be open to the conversation and know who to go to or where to go to get answers for them. And I think that's like any other space too, right? How do you keep up with every development in the traditional markets? Well, it's unlikely that you can, um, but you, again, are monitoring the space from the top down and seeing the biggest things that are going on and reading up on what seems relevant to your clients and to your business. So um, it's very easily overwhelming, but just try to keep it in perspective of, you know, you're, you're never going to know everything, but as long as you're keeping an eye out and trying to read up on it and making sure, you know, you're there to support your clients on the biggest topics of the day, then, you know, I think you're putting yourself in a good position. But I struggle to keep up with everything that's going on, if that makes you feel better. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's talk one, uh, just a little bit about the promise of the technology. You talk a little bit about a uh, real-time payment system and what cryptocurrency means and and the utilization of the blockchain and secure wallets and things like that, how that could actually help us develop a real-time payment system. What would that mean for uh, the average person? Well, I, I think, I think there are a lot of things, right. And I've been fortunate to never have been in, in a lot of situations in which blockchain and, you know, the real-time payment systems and whatnot come up for being advantageous. But I, I think, um, you know, there's definitely people in the space who talk about the advantages of being able to, you know, you and I standing next to each other, you need money, whether it's to pay rent or to make make some sort of payment, use money and spend it for something. And typically, if I try to transfer that to you, it's the one to three business days, right? If I send you money on Venmo, we might be able to send money, you know, it'll be in my Venmo balance and I can use it on that app. But if I wanted to put it in my bank account, again, probably one to three days, unless I pay a fee to get it expedited. Um, and that's really not as efficient, as effective as it could be. With crypto, if I am standing directly next to you and you want me to send you Bitcoin, I could send that to you and in 10 seconds or less, typically around 
10 seconds at least, but I could send you that crypto. It would be in your wallet and that crypto could be transferred or used and actually spent immediately. And I think there's a lot of value in that, but I think stepping back to where the promise of crypto really lies, it's looking at innovation cycles. I describe crypto as the latest in the long line throughout the history of the entire world of innovations. And what people do is take whatever systems we're used to, the systems that we use every single day and try to better them. And where we saw the the latest other than crypto, which was the internet, was really bringing things to a digital world that allowed us to connect with people instantaneously. We were able to talk to anyone in any corner of the planet with internet connection, and we could do that seamlessly in a way that was efficient, in a way that was, um, you know, very simple to do at some point when the systems got built out, right? And that really changed the way that we communicate. We're such a digital world, and we've seen that you know, continue to permeate society. We're really shifting more towards digital everything for a lot of reasons. Um, You know, it's more global, it's quicker, it's more efficient. We have it in the palm of our hands and can access it anywhere. And where I see crypto fitting into that is really providing a financial equivalent to what the internet did for communication. Um, We're rather than just being able to connect with one another in any corner of the globe instantaneously on a digital platform, we can do that with our finances as well. Um, whether that's sending money to one another, um, sending crypto, crypto assets being the digitally native form of, you know, assets that we can transfer to one another. But I really think that blockchain and everything that comes along with it, um, whether that's, you know, secure record tra- uh, record storage, you know, allowing data that cannot be, you know, um, what's the word I'm tampered with, not be easily tampered with, right? Every, all of the information on a blockchain, a public blockchain is visible to anyone. So it's promoting transparency. I could go on all day about the ways that I think that it would work. But when I step back and think about where this fits in, in history, this is nothing, you know, the technology itself is new. What we're doing is new, but this is just the latest in a long line of innovations used to make our everyday lives easier. And we're moving more and more towards a digital world. If our communications are primary, primarily online and instantaneous and made that simple at the palm of your hands, why shouldn't your finances and investing be as well? Um, and not even just finances and investing, right? We've seen NFTs, which allow for ownership on a blockchain that anyone can see, cannot be tampered with. Think about the potential of that for record keeping, um, as an example. So there are a lot of applications of it, but... I really just think that all of this is moving towards more of a digitally native experience in every aspect of our lives and, you know, the positive aspects that we can get from that, Um, because we've seen not just crypto being created. We've seen since Bitcoin was created, since the Bitcoin blockchain and all of that, we've seen so many new developments that really all center around bringing things back to a digitally native experience. Um, so that's kind of how I view it. Not sure if that makes sense. If you have any questions, happy to answer that. But that's when the I- the best answer I've ever heard anybody give me to that question. I, I need to copy <laughs> that down and just like run that on a loop for 12 minutes. That was perfect. Thank you. Uh, that was really good. Uh, one one final question, because you, you, you brought it up. You said, okay, I'm going to explain Bitcoin like I was explaining it to a fifth grader. <laughs> So we are going to close with you giving the fifth grade explanation of Bitcoin. All right. Um, <laughs> well, so as I mentioned before, right, we have our communications from the Internet, more instantaneous, digitally native, right? 
In 2008, we saw peak distrust in the financial legacy financial institutions. And from that, almost uncanny timing, right? Maybe purposefully, can't say. I'm not Satoshi. But um, <laughs> there, there appears this white paper and the idea of the Bitcoin blockchain, something that allows you to transfer assets online instantaneously without an intermediary, which could reduce friction, essentially lower fees and just make the pr process digitally native and more efficient. And what another thing that we've seen with, you know, with the technology the, that allows for the digitally native transfer of value, there has to be a digitally native asset of value to transfer. And that is what Bitcoin is. So there's the Bitcoin blockchain, which is the infrastructure that allows for that ease of transfer um, in a way that is, you know, all of the buzzwords we often hear, transparent, instantaneous, no middleman. Um, I directly can send assets from me to you without the need for going through a Bank of America, getting that transaction approved through someone, having added fees for that. Um, I can do that on a blockchain and Bitcoin is the asset that you and I can transfer to each other. So with this digitally native tech that allows us to transfer value, there has to be an asset that's digitally native for that to be transferred, right? So that's what Bitcoin is. And when we think about some of the issues that we've had in the legacy traditional world, right? You mentioned fractional, uh, like the fractionalization of assets, right? So with, with US dollars or investing in stocks and right um, there, we've seen fractionalized stocks too, right? And with, um, and I personally love that movement because I think it makes at a lower cost basis, people can get involved in markets um, because you don't have to buy one share of Amazon stock for $400. I don't know. It, I know it costs a lot more than that right now, but you don't need to buy an entire share. You can buy a fraction of that and get in at a lower cost point, which lowers the barriers to entry and investing. And what we've seen with Bitcoin as well is there is um, very, very easy fractionalization of crypto. If it's in at $40,000, I can buy a dollar worth of Bitcoin with no problem because there's not a limit to how much I can buy. Um, so that that's kind of a benefit of it, I suppose. Um, I'm kind of talking in circles now, but um, well, no, Bitcoin, okay. I, think, I think what you're really referring to at, at the end of the day is it's a uh it's a digital replacement of trust. Yes. Because in, in the yeah. past, we had to find a person that we trusted to do business with, or mm -hmm. we had to find an institution that we trusted to represent a person that we might not know to do business with. Uh, Said it better and, than me. <laughs> and, and the middleman is just that person who serves that role. And I'm, I'm all for the middleman since I, I tend to be a middleman you know, most of my career. So I don't, I don't have anything negative to say about that, but I do think that if you do understand the ledger technology, if you do understand the transparency component of it, then that takes away the need for the trust of the individual or the institution, because you're actually trusting the location and the key and the transparency of the overall process. Right. Yeah. And I, and I it, think and once more people understand that, then we'll have higher adoption of you know what we're doing. Yeah. And it's in, I think, I think there are a lot of benefits to it. Right. And there's still going to be, um, you know, middlemen in some capacity. It's just what that capacity is will change. And I think that's the same with financial advisors. Right. I don't think there will ever be a replacement for having a human that you can contact to reassure you and have that interpersonal connection talking about finances, which are very emotional. Right. I don't think that that'll ever completely be you know, automated away. And I think about that in a lot of places within the financial services space, the, the role itself is just going to change because 
again, if you think an innovation cycle is really what crypto and Bitcoin and blockchain are doing, are just trying to create more efficiency in the process, lower friction, easier access. And that's, you know, I think I think that's one of the main things that it will achieve when adopted at scale. And we've seen that kind of increase. But it's not, you know, there's there will be roles for middlemen in some way, but that role is going to change, right? Like we've seen technology in the past that has come along and changed industries, but it doesn't completely remove jobs. It just sort of changes the jobs that are there, um, if, if that makes sense. So it's just, I don't know, it's, I'll, I'll stop there. <laughs> Well, obviously, this uh, this segment is let everybody know that's a testament to what you can learn about something in a in a year's time if you devote you know eighteen hours a day to it. So, congratulations! You're certainly uh, <laughs> you've certainly climbed the uh, uh, climbed the education ladder and educated before you allocated. That's for sure. So, Caitlin, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, hope that uh, everybody gets a chance to listen to this and learn just a little bit more about. Uh, what it is you're doing. Uh, get, here's a chance to plug on ramp one more time. How would an uh, investment advisor or anybody who's interested in doing business with your company, how would they reach out to you? Sure. So we're on all social platforms. Obviously, I love Twitter. So we're active on there at OnRamp Invest and on at OnRamp Academy for educational content. We have a link available in the bio for OnRamp Invest to book a demo with the team. If you want to check out our website, see what we have available um, for yourself first. It's OnRampInvest.com. And we have we have links to sign up for a demo with one of our team members there to talk you through the process. Um, and we have, you know, some information to read about before you do that, if you're interested as well. All right. And then are you still doing the Twitter spaces for. Uh, yeah, those are those are I always find those to be kind of interesting just to uh, you know, it's always a different type of topic. But if you're just interested in it, is that three o'clock every Friday? Yes, three Eastern, twelve Pacific for an hour. Um, I bring on different people from the crypto space, from the RIA space that sort of sit at that intersection of traditional finance and crypto to explain different areas of the business, new developments in the space, and just give advisors a platform to openly ask their questions and get answers. Well, very cool. Well, Caitlin, thank you very much for joining us, and uh, best of luck to you. Thank you. And that's going to do it for our crypto conversation with Caitlin Cook. You can check out her work at OnRamp Academy by visiting OnRamp's website. But Caitlin also posts regular videos and hosts educational forums on Twitter spaces. And really her content's all over the place. So you can also find all of her content by following her on Twitter at DeadKateBounce. Thank you so much for listening and engaging with us at A Voice from the Hills. And be sure to rate us and follow us on the podcast platform that you prefer. The show's on all the major uh, platforms, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or what have you. Thanks again to Caitlin, and thanks to everyone who helped put the show together. Couldn't do it without you, and thanks, of course, to you for listening, because we can only do our best work when you are here to listen. Thank you.